0: Welcome in, everybody, here on a Thursday edition. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steel Man and Thune at noon here on the home of Souter Fans, the Ref Radio Network. Great to have you with us. Hope you're staying warm. Hope you're staying safe. The roads really aren't that bad. I would actually be in studio uh, if I didn't have a, a second gig. I had to get on uh, by like 230 to get hooked up, but... Uh, Come on, on now, Mike. Roads, we if know if the o- truth. You'd be here in studio if
1: you weren't a soy boy.
0: I am a whiny little soy boy. That's the worst. I mean, the, the whiny little soy boys are, are certainly the worst. I am no Nebraska driving specialist like Parker. So, uh, anyway, it, it's... Uh, it's still overcast. Uh, you know, you might have some problems getting out of your own neighborhood. Uh, that might be your biggest challenge. The main roads look pretty good right now. We've got maybe a little bit of stuff coming in here a little bit later, but tomorrow it's going to warm up. All right. Uh, today we will have John Ham joining us. I think John's going to be available to join us at 12:35 today. One of our Thunder insiders and uh, Shea Gildas Alexander is coming back for Oklahoma City tonight after a 10-game hiatus. He was out with an ankle injury. And uh, the Phoenix Suns will be in OKC tonight at 7 o'clock without Chris Paul, who is going to miss six to eight weeks with an ankle issue. But Phoenix still sporting the best record in the NBA, 7 o'clock tip time tonight at the Paycom Center. And then at uh, 135, George Stoya going to join us. Denver Gazette, Aaron Rodgers might be making a decision soon after his uh, Panchakarma uh, 12-day cleanse which uh, led to a very interesting Instagram post the other day. But uh, the general feeling is that Aaron Rodgers is going to be making a decision soon. Green Bay certainly uh, would still be the favorite. Uh, the Denver Broncos, I think, would be second on that list. George, uh, OUJ school graduate, really good young rider will join us. We'll talk about that situation, and we'll talk a little sooner basketball and football coming up here in a little bit as well. I've always said I think the two biggest, brightest I- – I'm not blowing smoke here. A lot of times I do. You guys, if you've listened to me long enough, a lot of what I say is, you know, tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of, uh, as I've said, my business card should say Mike Steele, PBA professional, Bull artist. Uh, But... Really, Parker and uh, and George, I think, are the best two I've seen coming out of the Oklahoma Journalism School in a while. All right, uh, did you see Jason Kersey's article today in The Athletic? Because I thought it was right of the money. Jason does a great job. Good dude. He's got great uh, uh, binge taste as well. Uh, you know, I see him tweeting about the same shows I'm watching all the time, and he does a great job covering Sooner football. And basically, uh, Jason, who covers the Sooners for The Athletic, and the pride of uh, noble Oklahoma, wrote about this narrative that's out there, that, man, Oklahoma took a big hit, and what's going to happen to the Sooners, man? They're going to the SEC, or on the same path, Nebraska traveled, you know, from the Big 12 to the Big 10. And people are kind of overlooking a lot about what has been excellent at Oklahoma since Muleshoe left for L.A. I love the head coaching hire. I think he has brought in maybe as good a staff as there is in college football. I really mean that. Now, they've got to go out and prove it, but I think potentially we've seen what Brent Vittables has done. We've seen what Todd Bates has done. Uh, You know, Jeff Levy's numbers as an offensive coordinator are excellent. Sooner fans know about the kind of results that Jerry Schmidt gets – uh, with strength and conditioning. But uh, I don't know if you saw it today, Parker. I thought it was great. But it's it's basically, again, There's I, I still think this national narrative that, man, what's going to happen to Oklahoma? Are they going to stay a blue blood, or is this going to be really problematic? And I think, again, short-term, you know, maybe, maybe that can be an issue. But long-term, we've talked about this. What they put together, to me, looks really good for the long-term for OU.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, we keep rehashing this conversation over and over and over again, Mike, but that's because it keeps getting dragged to the top of the national headlines. Uh, you know, Brand Venable's first-time head coach. I'm, first, I'm just not sure where, where how much success he's going to have at right? you know, Oklahoma, particularly as they prepare to make the transition to the SEC. When you look at this team top to bottom heading into the year 2022, Mike, there's a very legitimate argument that there's going to be Absolutely no drop-off one year to the next. And I understand that this Oklahoma football team is not going to be as sexy as it once was, right? Because Lincoln Riley's style, Mule Shoes' style of football was sexy. That's the reason why, despite the fact that Oklahoma had a bit of a down year in 2020, really didn't play great football until the latter half of the season. There's a reason why they came into 2021 as – the odds-on favorite to win the national title right up there with Alabama. There were pundits all across the nation predicting that Oklahoma was going to be, at the very least, playing for a national title at year's end. And that was because Muleshoe had mastered the art of sexy football. Now, the Sooners, in the five years that Muleshoe was head coach, obviously never played for a national championship, obviously never won a national championship. But one thing they did do, Mike... They put up numbers, particularly on offense. They put up points. They dominated the Big 12. And all of us kind of collectively got sucked into the lie of believing that because Oklahoma had been the cream of the crop in the Big 12 and because they had all this talent on both sides of the ball, that not only were they going to win the Big 12 again, but that all of a sudden they were going to waltz onto the college football playoff stage in January and go toe-to-toe with the likes of Alabama and Georgia. And that ended up not being the case. And you you can still make the argument today that Oklahoma had all the talent to be able to do that. But at the end of the day, it came down to coaching. And to me, that's the reason why there is more optimism for this Oklahoma football team going forward, I would say, than there would be otherwise, because regardless of the discrepancy in talent, and you can say, you can sit here and say, sure, Oklahoma's not as talented On Both sides in 2022 as they were in 2021. That's fine. I would sympathize with that argument. But what you can't say, at least I don't think in good conscience, is that Oklahoma is going to be a worse coached team than they were in 2021. And one thing you absolutely cannot do, especially in this day and age, Mike, is you cannot win a national championship without good coaching. I can think of one school in the last twenty years that won a national title without a very high-end, well-respected, mm. successful head coach. Auburn, and that would be Gene Chizik at all? Yeah, Auburn.
0: that's where I was going. That's where I was going right there. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, I, I, sexy, glitzy, glamorous, whatever you want to talk. And I'm not going to sit here as as angry as I still am in a very petty way about how Miosu left. Uh, he's a good coach he's a good coach do we know that he's a championship coach a national championship coach we certainly haven't seen that yet he's going to win games at usc there is no doubt about it i mean they're going to have a great chance to get to the playoff uh usc is a sleeping giant but the way that oklahoma has recovered has been really good and if you're talking glitz and glamour here's another bad analogy by me do you want to be with like a kardashian you're, you're going to get a lot of attention, you know, on social media and everything. You're also going to have a very flaky relationship that's not going to get you a championship. Or do you want to be, that's the mule shoe way, all about me, look at me, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I can go anywhere I want, whatever. Or do you want to go out with somebody like uh, Sandra Bullock or Jennifer Garner, who may not be quite as glitzy or glamorous, but it looks like a solid long-term investment, right? That is the Oklahoma way right now. Sandra Bullock versus a Kardashian. Where are the Kardashians from? They're Armenian. I know that. But (laughs) California. Uh, I mean,
1: all all the celebs are in L.A. these days, right? So, I mean, I don't know if...
0: I'm not sure if that was brilliant or stupid. It's somewhere in between. No,
1: it was brilliant because, like, you make a very great point. Sure, you're going to get all the headlines and... Uh, the paparazzi if you're dating a Kardashian, but that relationship's not going to last.
0: That's right. Pete Davidson, you're on the hook already, man. I, I know you think you're in right now, whatever, and I know you've dated a bunch of people, Ariana included, but guess what? Uh, Kim will be hitting the transfer portal soon. It's only a matter of time. There you go. You have heard Brent
1: Venables and Pete Davidson name-dropped in the same segment of radio.
0: Yes, and I think I compared uh, Brent to Sandra Bullock slash Jennifer Garner and Muleshoe to one of the Kardashians. But, you know, I guess Muleshoe, Texas is a long way from Southern California, but that, I don't know, this whole deal. Uh, But, yeah, you keep seeing that narrative. I thought Jason's piece in The Athletic, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, it's really good, man. They've got great, great, great writers. Jason, one of them, and he did an excellent piece today Uh, on, you know, kind of how Sooner football has recovered since. And, you know, we keep talking about this, and maybe we still don't talk about it enough. The way they salvaged, not only salvaged, but improved the recruiting hall in this class was pretty amazing. And that's even without – You know, mentioning Dylan Gabriel and Jeffrey Johnson and Trey Morrison and McCade Mattire and Daniel Parker and TD Roof, other guys that have come through the portal. So, again, in terms of answering what could have been a a very, I don't know if I want to go disastrous, but a very difficult situation to overcome, even for a blue blood program when it happened that quickly, like it did, Oklahoma's recovery, I think, was really good. So, anyway, Uh, how was your drive in this morning, by the way?
1: Well, no I tell props. you what, I got my bicep workout in because I had to spend a lot more time than I anticipated scraping the ice off my car, uh, which, you know, not my first time scraping ice, but definitely one of the most difficult times I've had. That ice was thick, and it was not budging. So, Yeah.
0: Did you I have any de-icer or anything? You could warm up the car, put that de-icer on? No. Or did I you just, just scrape away? I just
1: have one of those traditional ice scrapers that's probably 15 years old by now, and it's just... It's it's old reliable for me, so I whipped it out and just went to town. And uh, it took it took a while. It took a while. I I probably spent about as long scraping the ice off my windshield today as I would generally spend scraping ice off the windshield and all of the windows and the back windshield. So I it, it's weird to me, Mike, because why is why is there all why does Oklahoma always get the ice? Because I'm very accustomed to snow. Nebraska mm. always has snow right. every single winter. But ice like this is something that you only get up there every couple of years, at least in that quantity. Now, it seems like in Oklahoma, you have that multiple times on an annual basis.
0: Well, you powered through. I think the Oklahoma Men's Clinic will name you one of their Alpha Males of the Year for you getting out there and scraping your own ice without a de-icer. That's very impressive. Clearly, uh, Alpha Male material. I'm still a whiny little soy boy. By the way, Ronnie on Twitter, Steely, you still sound congested. Go to the doctor. (laughs) Too much time, too much paperwork, Ronnie. I have this sinus infection, whatever it is. On the ropes right now. It's a matter of landing that last punch. That's what I'm trying to do. Throw so the I, I'll be fine. Yeah. I need one more. I need one more. Like I said, just when I think I've got this thing knocked out, it comes back, man. It keeps fighting. So anyway, all right. Uh, folks, we're just underway here on a Thursday. Good to have you with us. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune at noon here on the home of Sooner fans, the ref radio network, a former Sooner changing jobs. We'll talk about that when we get back here on the ref. Okay, welcome back. It is a Thursday edition of Steel Man and Thune here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Our thanks to our first-hour sponsor, Tim Lasher. Great Sooner, great company. Lasher Home Comfort Systems, they will do a great job for you. We've had work done uh, with Tim's people over here at uh, our place, Shea Stadium, and they did a tremendous job, a great job. Very professional, nice people, and uh, they fixed our issue very quickly. Uh, 405-579-3113. That's 405-579-3113. Okay, before we get to, uh, I wanted to talk about Troy Aikman, possibly going to Monday Night Football, but how, how about Grambling State hiring Art Bryles as their offensive coordinator? Gabe Iker just had a great, t- a great tweet that he put out. About five minutes ago, I feel like we all deserve to know if Grambling State waited for Putin to invade Ukraine before announcing the Art Briles news.
2: <laughs> oh man,
1: what I mean, are you? What is are your thoughts? Th- what is, are your thoughts on that situation, Mike?
0: Well, look, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, Art Briles is way too tarnished, and uh, I think Art Briles is a heck of a football coach, man. He did a great job at Stephenville. He's an offensive innovator. They gave Oklahoma problems when he was there. He had some great teams at Baylor. There's no doubt about it. But man, he is too toxic for me. He is too toxic for me. And, and somebody might say, well, I don't know what about Jeff Levy. He was there. Oklahoma had no problem bringing in Jeff Levy. And, you know, we talked about that to, to Parker, that that was going to be a hurdle he was going to have to clear. And obviously, I, I think what you do is you put your trust in, uh, the two Joes, uh, Joe Castiglione and Joe Harris there, and they investigated and vetted. Jeff Levy and felt good about that hire. But Art Briles, really good coach, no doubt. But, man, the, some of the stuff that went on there is like, uh, it's it's everything you could imagine that could go wrong with a college football program, you know, the end of his tenure at Baylor. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know because, like, in general, to a certain extent – We don't know all of what went on at Baylor, right? There were things that there were kind of conflicting reports on. There was some stuff that got lost in translation, and no doubt there was some stuff that was probably intentionally obfuscated. So I'm not going to sit here and condemn Art Riles, and I don't know how unpopular of a take this is, but particularly, you know, for... For any school that has done their homework and been thorough in vetting him and made sure that they've gone through all of the steps and looked at it from every angle, and, you know, if, if at the end of that they decide that Art Bryles is a guy that they feel comfortable with hiring, I'm not going to fight them on that, right? That's, that's their decision. If that's their evaluation after going through all – or after jumping all of the hurdles – and clearing it from you know, background checks, all that stuff. I I don't know, Mike. I understand why people are upset about it and why people are going to continue to be upset about it. But I also think, you know what? If the university administrators at Grambling believe that they're doing the right thing and they believe that Art Bryles is going to represent their university well and he's going to steward this second chance responsibly... Then more power to them. And so I I will be curious to see how his tenure at Grambling plays out. I will be especially curious to see just how extensive the backlash is over the next couple of days. But I'm going to stand pat on calling Art Briles bottom-level scum like I've seen some people on Twitter doing
0: yeah I don't know. You know, I don't associate associate him with the worst of the worst. I still don't believe I wouldn't hire him uh, on a college campus because he was the man in charge. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's the most evil guy of all time, but that's interesting, man. At an HBCU to uh, for them to hire Art Bryles at Grambling. Grambling's got great history. Obviously, one of the greatest coaches of all time, and Eddie Robinson. Man, I can still remember as a kid being fascinated by Grambling because we would get uh, Sunday morning the Notre Dame football replay with Lindsey Nelson on the call, and then after that, we get Grambling State. You know, and uh, and I would bet you, I'd have to go to the Hall of Fame website, but I would bet you that Grambling has more Pro Football Hall of Fame and than OU does. We have to go ahead and Google that up. Somebody Google it up for us, but, you know, I'm, If not, it's really, really close because they've had, they've sent, I can think of, well, you think of Doug Williams winning a Super Bowl. You think of Willie Brown with the Raiders and others. um, I'd have to Google that, but they've got a great reputation. So, yeah, this surprised me. Uh, You know, and I really liked a lot of the Art Briles story before the lid blew off there at Baylor, and it, it was so ugly there. I mean, this is a guy who overcame a lot. I mean, his parents dying in a car wreck to go see him play a college football game when he was at the University of Houston. I mean, that is – that's about as tragic as it gets. Then he goes, becomes a legendary uh, Texas high school coach, ends up at Tech, does an excellent job elevating that Baylor program. Art Bryles probably is as responsible as anybody for getting McLean Stadium built right there on the Brazos, Right. Uh, without Art Bryles being there, you know, no matter what you think uh, and how bad the fallout uh, was afterwards, he was he was really very responsible for Baylor getting that stadium. But uh, I don't know, man. It's just uh, it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth seeing that. All right, what about Troy Aikman potentially going to join Monday Night Football at ESPN? And there's some thought that Joe Buck may follow him there. Uh, the Monday Night Football crew, I believe, it was, what? Uh, Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, Greasy, and Brian Greasy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like Lisa Lisa Salters was doing the sideline stuff. Man, ESPN has played uh, musical chairs with the Monday Night Football crew for a while now, and that would be a big get. I don't know. Um, you know, Al Michaels had talked about, and he's not coming back to NBC. Uh, it certainly doesn't look like, but. Is Monday Night Football a better gig? Look, if he's going to get paid $17 million, uh per year, what we're hearing with this new deal with Monday Night Football, you you know, I don't know. Is that a better gig First than off, Sunday Fox game? First off, that's
1: an obscene amount of money. That means it he is. is getting paid $1 million per game. Mike, $1 million per game. He's getting paid $1 million for four hours of work every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That That is the type of gig that you and I can only dream of having. So, you know what? If that's the bag that Troy Aikman's getting, again, more power to him. I also think that would be great for ESPN because Monday Night Football has quickly become an afterthought when you're thinking about the high level football broadcast these days because it used yeah. to be that Monday night football was appointment television right but ever i mean they've had John Gruden in the booth they had Jason Witten in the booth that mm. one year uh. they're color guys over the years and no disrespect to any other guys Booger McFarland right but Troy Aikman is night and day better than any of the color guys that they've rolled out over the last few years. And so I feel like this is an opportunity for Monday night football to really reestablish itself as a heavy hitter in terms of weekly football broadcasting. And to me – I don't know. I don't know whether Joe Buck will follow. I will always associate Joe Buck with Fox more than anything else, and Joe Buck has been working at Fox, Mike, for 26 mm-hmm. years now. So, what, what
0: about his baseball stuff too? Exactly. You know, if he goes so, to Monday Night Football.
1: So that makes me wonder. May, here's here's the interesting thing. What if it's Al Michaels that they pair with Troy Aikman? Mm-hmm. Because NBC is getting be. ready to move on from Al. Al is still killing the game at 76 years old. And he's one of the most iconic voices in the history of modern American sports. If you pair Al Michaels with Troy Aikman, that is instantly, I would say, the best booth that ESPN has had for Monday Night Football since Madden left.
0: Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that. And look, Monday Night Football is never going to be what it used to be because when I was growing up, Monday Night Football really was the biggest show in sports on a weekly basis. Uh, even if they had a so-so matchup because you had, by the way, Keith Jackson, who is Mr. College Football, was the first play-by-play voice of Monday Night Football, and later you think of um, obviously Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell, and you know they had Don Meredith and O.J. Simpson, and uh, you know a bunch of different people in the booth. But uh, Cosell's halftime highlights were legendary, and he always had something controversial to say. And it was the biggest show in sports every Monday night back in the day. Times have changed. That's when we had you know ABC, NBC, and CBS and PBS, and that's about it. But uh, this would be big, obviously, with Troy, and if they get either uh, Joe Buck or Al Michaels. So we'll see what happens. All right, we are underway, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Thursday. Mike Steele, Parker Thune, Steelman, and Thune at noon. Here on the Ref Radio Network, yes, we are the home of Sooner fans. We're going to talk a little Thunder basketball when we get back. It's a big night because the stretch run of the season begins tonight. Oklahoma City needs to continue competitively tanking. And Shay Gilgis-Alexander is coming back from a 10-game absence tonight. So we'll get into that with John Hamm when we get back right here on the Ref. John Hamm, our Thunder Insider, joining us. uh, Oklahoma City back in action tonight at the Paycom Center, taking on the West leading and the NBA leading uh, Phoenix Suns best record in the West, best record in the league, but without CP3 for six to eight weeks due to that thumb injury and SGA coming back tonight for Oklahoma City. John, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, You look at where Oklahoma City is, fourth-worst record in the league and, uh, they are three games clear of the Rockets for three, and we know how big it is, you know, percentage wise. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just extremely significant, but there's enough there that you would like to have the third worst record in the league. But that's going to be, even though there are 24 games left, uh, in the way that Houston's going about their business and Detroit and Orlando, uh, this may be where Oklahoma City lands. So, what is the, uh, over the final 24 regular season games, uh, we've talked about competitive tanking, if that's possible. What uh, what are you looking for out of the last 24 regular season games from the Thunder?
3: It, you know, Mike, I go back to last season, coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, that's suddenly when Moses Brown got into the lineup and, and eventually landed a starting job. Uh, Alexei Pokashevsky got a starting job. And it was pretty apparent at that point that, you know, the page had turned in a different direction. And then, of course, Shea Jones-Alexander, mm-hmm. you know, is injured. Um, and that helped matters a lot. I kind of expect we're going to see – I don't know if if it's going to be quite that drastic. I don't think they're going to be starting like Olivier Saar at center for the rest of the season. But, you know, it, I think there is going to be an emphasis on, you know, getting some guys some minutes. Again, Pokashevsky, who has been on a, a bit of a roll, relatively speaking, I think you know putting him out there, getting a look at him in some different lineups with other guys, um, you know, giving some more time, you know, getting a look at Vic Krejci, getting a you know a bigger look at Lindy Waters. Just you know, that is one way that you can both you know get guys some experience and also probably not have a lot of success. Which, as you mentioned, right, you get into the bottom three of the league. Now you've got a fourteen percent chance of getting the top pick in the draft, and every little percentage point, you know, that, that matters. It, it helps matters a little bit.
1: John, what do you make of LeBron's comments last week on Sam Presti? Uh, a lot of people have speculated that <laughs> eh, maybe somewhere down the line with Oklahoma City having all the picks that they have in future drafts, maybe Bronny ends up in Oklahoma City and that would necessarily mean LeBron ends up at Oklahoma City. Like, How much do you read into that? Do you think... You just take that at face value, and that's LeBron James giving praise to a guy that he views as an elite basketball mind. Or you think there's a little bit more subtext there?
3: Uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of both. So Le- LeBron is uh, he's excellent at subtweeting people, um, and he doesn't need Twitter to do that, right? Uh, if he has a message to send, and that message uh, was you know largely sent at his own general manager, Rob Polinka. Um, I think it was like a genuine sort of expression on, wow, look at what you know Sam has been able to do in Oklahoma City, identifying all this talent uh, and keeping that team you know competitive for as long as they did. I, I think some of that was was pretty genuine. but I mean, also, I think there was a message sent you know to Rob Bolinkka, this is coming out of the trade deadline uh, where they didn't make any moves. And you know there was, of course, mixed messages over who was on board with the idea and not. Uh, So LeBron will do that once in a while. Now, as far as, like, laying the groundwork for, you know, I've seen people speculate, does that mean he's trying to recruit Presti to L.A.? I I just, I don't see something like that happening. And, you know, as far as, like, LeBron, LeBron could wind up, look, if Bronny winds up in Toronto, I mean, LeBron might follow him up there. That's what he's, you know, expressed uh, desire to do. Um, You know, wherever he winds up, he wants to play the final season with his son, that may be Oklahoma City, but, I mean, at that point, you're talking about a 42-year-old LeBron James. Uh, let's be honest. He's still going to be a legend at that age, I guess. <laughs> you know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing.
0: John Hamwood is Thunder Insider. Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Rep Radio Network. Oklahoma City and the Suns tonight, 7 o'clock at the Paycom Center. Uh, Russell Westbrook. Was named uh, one of the top 75 NBA players of all time, celebrating the 75th anniversary. And in conjunction with the uh, All Star weekend, you know, some people had an issue with that. And in my mind, Russ is definitely, no doubt, one of the top 70 players of all time. But speaking of LeBron, there's reportage out there that LeBron was in favor of, uh, you know, John Wall for Russ in that deal and uh, behind-the-scenes hasn't been, you know, real happy with the the way the situation has worked out or hasn't worked out with Russ. What do you think of Russ's reputation right now? Uh, It it appears to be in tatters with a lot of people, but you've got to consider the the entire career here. But what do you think about, you know, Russ's reputation around the league now?
3: Yeah, I mean – people like to be sort of prisoners of the moment. And when you look at Russ right now, it's real easy to discredit everything he's done up until this season. And I mean, look, in terms of this season in LA, if you go on Twitter, you're going to see the very bad mistakes Russ makes, right? Because, and that's the way Russ has always been when he's done something bad. I mean, it is, it is loud, whether it's a, you know, it's a bad pass that it's a turnover. If it's a shot off the side of the backboard, you know, those are the clips that people see and then they sort of, you know, take that to mean that is Russ's entire identity. Um, you know, like he was always an awkward fit with LeBron and it's not all on him. LA struggles are not completely on him. He's part of the problem. Um, but I, I just think he is, he's always been such an easy guy to lay blame upon because, you know, he's, he's a guy that is pretty gruff, uh, with people. He's very private. Um, and again, his play, over the years, he has not been able to rate himself in uh, the way that he probably should. So, you know, for all those reasons, he's always been a lightning rod. But again, uh, you know, I, I think you look at his, his career as a whole, I think it speaks for itself. Even if you want to discount some of the triple-double success that he's had, whatever, he made it happen. And plus, he was on part of, you know, he was a part of some very successful teams at Oklahoma City, right? He wasn't getting these stats in losing situations that led nowhere, um, he contributed to winning in Oklahoma City. So you take that all into consideration. Yes, you deserve to be on the top 75 team. Unfortunately, he wanted to go back home to L.A., and it just it, it, it hasn't worked out well at all for him.
1: John, let me ask you this. Looking ahead to next year's draft... Let's say Oklahoma ends up on the outside looking in in the top three, and the consensus is that the top three picks in next year's NBA draft are going to be, in no particular order, Paolo Bonquero, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren. Let's say those three guys are off the board when the Thunder get their chance to pick. Do you add a guard? Do you take Jaden Ivey, who's probably the best player on the board at that point? Do you add him to a backcourt that already includes Josh Giddy and Trey Mann and Lou Dorton, Shea Gildas-Alexander? Or do you take a guy that's more in a position of need, perhaps? Do you trade the pick down? What do you think Oklahoma City does in that scenario?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's going to require you know a, a whole lot of soul-searching, I think, in Oklahoma City if that situation unfolds and they, like you say, they wind up outside the top three, um, depending on how the picks land, can they, again, maybe mount, you know, uh, a a massive trade offer to try to move up into that top three. You know, I think that's probably going to be one of the first things they look at, you know, maybe they do have to sit back and say, okay, do do we need to do something drastic, you know, in terms of trading a significant player on the team, i.e. Shea Gildas Alexander to try to move up into that top three Uh, set the rebuild back a little bit, but still, you know, it's all about getting that star player some way, somehow, maybe OKC would see that and say, Hey, we've identified someone that we think is going to be a star that people aren't seeing here. I mean, I'm just completely just hypothetical. What if they see like Patrick Baldwin Jr. And they're like, we think that guy has got it. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that could unfold there. But I think with all the assets, OKC has, they're going to continue to try to move up and put themselves in position to get the guy they really want. It didn't work out last year. That doesn't mean it'll never work out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you know, you add another guard, it starts to get a little packed in that backcourt. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, really, r- really think about things. But I'll say this, too. Josh Giddy opens up a lot of things for this team in terms of who they can add because he is a positional anomaly. Being a 6'8 guard that can rebound like that, it's entirely possible they may say, hey, we, we can throw another guard into this mix and play Josh as the nominal four because of just the way that he plays. So it, it, it'll be really fascinating to see the thought process and, and how that all unfolds You know, whenever the draft order is known.
0: I like that positional anomaly. Very well said, there, Jim. Very well said. I like it. It's perfect, actually. All right, real quick before we let you go, uh, Evan Mobley got rookie of the year locked down. Does Josh have any chance over these uh, remaining twenty four games?
3: Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say no chance. I mean, clearly, if there was a, if this was like Major League Baseball where we gave out awards in a National League and American League, uh, Josh is going to win Rookie of the Year in the Western Conference. Uh, Eastern Conference, you've got Mobley, you've got Scotty Barnes. It's largely Mobley that I think people are looking at. I wouldn't say Josh has no chance, but I think the fact that Cleveland has exceeded people's expectations, he's got the narrative behind him a little bit. He is playing extremely well for that Cleveland team. Um, I, I would expect it's his to lose, barring some sort of an injury, which we don't want to see you know, for any player. Um, but still, you know, I, I look at it like this. If Josh is a guy at the end of the season that comes in second, in Rookie of the Year voting, that's going to far surpass people's expectations from the moment he was drafted.
0: Yeah, and and this has been a real solid uh, rookie class when you consider uh, Franz Wagner and uh, Jalen Green and everybody. You mentioned Barnes and and Mobley who have been tremendous. Kaminga has been pretty good. So it's uh, it's been a good draft class, no doubt. Hey, John, great stuff. Great catching up with you. We'll do it again soon. All
3: right. Take care, gents.
0: John Hamm, ladies and gentlemen, positional anomaly. Who is a positional anomaly at the ref? Uh, Josh Helmer?
2: Uh, well, it
1: depends on what you mean by positional anomaly. Well, he comes because in and does
0: every show when he has to, right? Well, I then mean, it's,
1: def- it's certainly TJ Josh certainly. TJ does,
0: Helmer, too. Yes. Yeah, TJ as well, I think. And, and, you know, everybody helps out here. Besides me, I'm the whiny soy boy who's at home all the time. Jeez. I'm really weak, aren't I? Really weak. I think right. it's, I think it's because you're the elder statesman. Mike. It may you're be. Little,
1: you get a little bit of extra grace because you've got uh, you've got a longer resume.
0: And that's probably why I've had uh, a sinus infection for two weeks too, because of my age and my diet and my lack of exercise and everything. All right, we'll break right here. Uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439. We're coming right back Thursday here on The Ref. Okay, welcome back. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, here on this Thursday edition of Steel Man and Thune. At noon, here on the Ref Radio Network, home of Sooner fans, top of the hour, we're going to get into the uh, USA Today story. Caleb Williams saying he wants to win more Super Bowls than Tom Brady. Yes, we will discuss here in a little bit. River Romance giveaway Friday night at Riverwind Casino. And uh, you're going to love it if you win a nice chunk of that $80,000 in cash and bonus play that will be up for grabs Friday night from 6 to 11 30. Make sure you're out there. You can make a great night out of it. Have a great meal at Chips and Ales. Really nice pub restaurant right there inside Riverwind. It is also going to be steak night on Friday night. At the River Buffet, all-you-can-eat steak for twenty-nine ninety-nine. They just added an IHOP. You can have breakfast around the clock at Riverwind at the Seasons Food Court as well. And uh, get out there Friday night, 6 to 1130. Hopefully you'll hear your name called. Have your wild card. If you play with your wild card Monday and Tuesday, you probably got five times the entries. And then again, they also have two grand prize winners they draw out just before midnight on Friday night. And they have another, well, they have more than one. But one of the promotions I know that they're looking forward to uh, next month, middle of March, they'll start it up, the $80,000 Land into Luxury promotion, where the eventual winner is going to win a 2022 Cadillac XT5 and $2,000 in cash. Always the best promotions at the one at Riverwind Casino, simply the best. All right, yeah, well, let's get into the Caleb Williams stuff at the top of the hour. Um, I I got a text earlier. Can you guys talk about the impactful, uh, portal players for Oklahoma? Who will be the biggest impact, guys? And, well, Parker, there, you got to start obviously at quarterback with Dylan Gabriel, but I think you mentioned Jeffrey Johnson, um, McCade Mattire, Dylan Gabriel uh daniel parker maybe he's being overlooked a little bit but uh, amazing uh, blocking tied in for missouri uh and i know you've got you know caden helms coming aboard and you've got braden willis back uh trey morrison the cornerback uh, from north carolina uh and you also think td roof maybe the uh ted roof's son who came to Oklahoma from Appalachian State, could be a guy that could play some for Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, for me, the guy that everybody's overlooking in this whole conversation is easily Trey Morrison. I don't know that that guy has gotten nearly the hype that he deserves as a four-year starter at North Carolina now on his way to Norman, Oklahoma. I I feel like I've said it before. Maybe I haven't. If not, I think it's safe to assume that Trey Morrison will have a starting role in Oklahoma's secondary come the fall. Now... The question becomes, where does he start? Because he can play corner, he can play safety, he can play nickel. He's played all over at North Carolina. So that's a guy that by virtue of his talent and his versatility, he's just somebody that you, you, you almost can't imagine him not being in the starting lineup in some capacity when the fall season opens. I would tend to believe, based on what I've heard, that he's going to play safety and that he'll uh, he'll probably start alongside Key Lawrence, I would guess. Uh, among the safeties, I do think Robert Spears Jennings will factor into that race as well. But I think for experience's sake, you do have to factor Key Lawrence and, uh, or you do have to favor Key Lawrence and Trey Morrison to be the starters there. Then you're looking at the cornerbacks, and I'm, I'm really high on CJ Colden, the transfer from Wyoming. I've heard good things about Kenai Walker, the Louisville transfer. So I think you will see a significant, I think you'll see the Porter pay the poor toll rather pay significant dividends in the secondary more so than anything else. And you also got to look at the defensive front line and a couple guys in Jeffrey Johnson and Jonah Laulu that should have significant roles in that rotation.
0: Yeah. Jonah Laulu is the kid from Hawaii and, uh, Jeffrey Johnson has already played on Owen field, uh, Made some plays, in fact, in the Sooners' close call against Tulane. When we all thought right off the bat, man, the, the initial reaction was, man, what what happened to the Sooners? And then the second reaction to that opening game was, man, credit those kids from Tulane, what they have been through, relocating and everything. But, you know, they really got them fired up. And then, of course, you come out and uh, Nebraska, you're like, oh, here we go again. It was, it, there was something... Happening very early on in the season. I don't know that the head man was checked in throughout even that part of the season. But uh, certainly an underachieving year for Oklahoma. But Jeffrey Johnson played well against OU in that matchup with the Sooners. All right, uh, coming up next hour, we're going to talk with uh, George Stoya. From the Denver Gazette, uh, you know, out of the OU Journalism School, really good uh, young writer covering the Denver Broncos. Has a lot of thoughts on uh, Sooner football and Sooner basketball, I'm sure, so we'll get into that with George coming up as well. So stick around for that at 135 today. And uh, we've got to talk a little bit more about some Sooner basketball. Bedlam coming up, 11 a.m. on CBS on a Saturday. The OU Women. One at TCU handily with Skylar Van leading the way with 17. The Sooners snapped their three-game losing streak and beat TCU 92 to 57. Last night the Big 12 Texas at home over TCU and Iowa State wins 84 81 over West Virginia. Nice win for Duke at Virginia last night. Nationally, Kentucky on their home floor beat LSU and Auburn at home beat Ole Miss. So we've got a lot more to talk about. Sooner baseball also in Arlington. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday at Globe Life Field against Northwestern State. We're coming back here on The Ref with our second hour, Steelman and Thune. Keep it here. Hour number two presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Great deal on a vehicle from Seth Wadley. Exit 72. Paul's Valley. That's what we're talking about. And a great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. That's a heck of a deal. All right. A story from USA Today. USC quarterback Caleb Williams. I want to win more Super Bowls than Tom Brady. Dateline, Los Angeles, according to writer Josh Peter, the ultimate goal for quarterback Caleb Williams is not to sign more name, image, and likeness deals than any other college athlete, but he's off to a good start with five deals entering his sophomore year and first season at Southern California. The ultimate goal is not to win a national championship, although – He said he'd gladly take two of them before he plans to leave USC after his junior season for the NFL. Rather, the ultimate goal is to be the greatest of all time, the GOAT, which he knows will require winning eight Super Bowls, one more than Tom Brady. Quote, Tom Brady is in my favorite quarterback. I don't think he's necessarily the greatest other than his accolades. I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan, but I do respect Tom Brady and what he's been able to do because if you play sports, if you play major league sports like NFL, NBA, you know how hard it is to win a championship and do it more than once. So what do you think? Caleb going to get as many Super Bowl rings as uh, Tom Brady? Parker, will he get a national championship? First off, I think it's hilarious
1: how Caleb's like, yeah, I'm leaving USC after my junior season. Like, He's not, yeah. even, he's not even opening himself up to the possibility that he'll be coming back to the Trojans in 2024. He's like, nope, three years and I'm out, which we all kind of knew. But to hear it from the horse's mouth is kind of jarring because can you think of, a, can you think of an athlete that's ever done that before, Mike? Can you think of a college, atth- college football player that's been like, yep, I'm planning on being here three years and then I'm gone?
0: Not off the top of my head, I can't. I mean, you, you kind of knew, like with Trey Young in basketball, you knew it was a one-year deal. You know that he and Rayford had their sights set in the NBA, but I can't remember a college football player off the top of my head coming out and saying that like Caleb did. So I don't know, and he's an Aaron Rodgers fan. And, and look, I like Aaron Rodgers too, And but Aaron Rodgers was out in California. He's a He played at Cal, one of USC's rivals, of course. Aaron Rodgers just got through with a Poncha Karma 12 day cleanse where they were vomiting, defecating, and cleansing. I mean, that's a California thing, I guess. That, uh, I don't know. That,
2: that, that, that,
0: what, uh, what? Part of that was yes, uh, t- taking uh, enemas as well. I'm so confused. That's where Aaron Rodgers was, and that's where he got, I guess, all into his feels with that Instagram post where he told everybody how much he loved them. So you're saying
1: this cleanse, this cleanse is a California thing?
0: That's my understanding, yes.
1: What on earth? That's one of the more bizarre things
0: I've heard this week. I mean apparently if I'm going to uh cleanse panchakarma means five actions to eliminate toxins. Yes, there are enemas involved. There's nasal cleansing. Many of the treatments also use oils and a special diet, can also induce vomiting. There's purgation, which means we're making sure that your GI tract is very cleansed.
2: Oh boy.
1: Oh oh my good oh my goodness, Mike. Aaron Rodgers is turning into Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. (laughs) That's what we're witnessing. We are witnessing de-evolution.
0: It also says that Panchakarma is a principle of Ayurveda medicine, which is done for cleansing, balancing, healing, and rejuvenation, according to the Ayurveda. Didn't Ricky Williams go to the California College of Ayurveda? I don't know. I I just—I think he did. Ricky Williams was out there for a while, which was the California Pot Smoking Institute, basically. Oh, I see.
1: I just—I hear you reading all this stuff, Mike, and I'm just like, it's like you're reading to me a script from a Parks and Recreation episode where Chris Traeger is is explaining his latest—I don't even know what you would call it—his latest Hmm. kick.
0: Apparently, this originated in India, but he was at a clinic, uh, I believe, in California. Uh, There are many ways that you can cleanse yourself through panchakarma, therapeutic vomiting or induced vomiting, uh, purgation therapy or forced diarrhea to purge the bowel and cleanse blood toxins, the sweat glands, kidneys, stomach, small intestine, colon, liver, and spleen. Now, if I'm going to a spa, I'm not going to be sitting on the throne all day. I can tell you that. That doesn't sound very relaxing. Medications given by enema to cleanse toxins through the colon. Part of this uh, cleansing process that Aaron Rodgers went through recently. He's a different breed of cat, too, isn't Uh, he, Aaron Rodgers?
1: Yeah, here's the thing. We all knew he was a different breed of cat. I didn't realize how different he was
0: until hearing you explain all of this, Mike. So I guess literally if you're full of, you need to go get the Karma treatment.
1: So does that mean Aaron Rodgers is full of?
0: Uh, At times he has been. I don't know. And apparently the decision's coming down soon. All right. Um, I don't know. Does this story i some people oh caleb williams is delusional or whatever i mean okay Uh, i mean it's great to set your goals high and could caleb williams win a super bowl yeah could he win a couple maybe um i don't know i guess the fact again once you're aligned with mule shoe you are you're in the crosshairs so to speak on social media and i haven't seen him just get destroyed on this but some people already like okay man yeah whatever um we, we talked about this, uh, a while back and somebody was asking me, um, you know, and, and this person's a big OU fan and said, man, I'm going to, I'm really going to miss Caleb Williams because I think he's going to be a superstar and has a great chance to win a Heisman at SC. And I said, well, yeah, it, he does. There's no doubt about it. He's got an incredible, uh, high ceiling. He hasn't scratched the surface yet, made a lot of plays for Oklahoma, but he asked me, will he end up being the most missed uh oklahoma player like in terms of a guy who could have been great at oklahoma i i still went with marcus dupree as my guy um i'm trying to think of other players there aren't a lot that fit in that category mike gaddis might be one mike gaddis got to play you know a couple seasons but he had that severe knee injury always seemed to be getting hurt but man he was headed towards an nfl career and uh, was going to be among the great Sooner running backs. He was already, look, he's still one of the Sooner's better running backs of all time, but uh, never got to fulfill his potential because of injuries and just uh, some bad luck. And uh, he passed away. Mike Gaddis passed away like at 50 years old, which is a sad deal. Um, Barry Switzer said that Mike Gaddis was the best back he ever recruited. Out of the Sooner State. Now, when you think of great backs um, at OU, Billy Sims, Hooks, Texas, uh, Adrian Peterson, Palestine, Texas, um, Marcus Dupree, Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, there are some good backs that they recruited. Uh, obviously, uh, Billy Vessels, Heisman winner. Out of, what, Cleveland, Oklahoma, I think for Billy Vessels, obviously not recruited by Switzer, but Mike Gaddis was a star, man. Um, no doubt about it. So, He had kidney issues, passed away early at the age of 50, Mike Gaddis, You know, Parker, you're still so young. I don't know that you would have a list, but um, I don't know. How will Sooner fans, again, I think you've hit the nail on the head many times. What Caleb Williams will be remembered for more than anything else is bringing OU back, and he'll always have a place in OU history, mainly due to what he did in the Cotton Bowl.
1: Yes, and again, we were talking about it at the time amongst the media that were present at that game, Mike, and the conversation we were having, and of course we didn't realize how significant this conversation was going to look come January, February, but the conversation was, is Caleb Williams going to be a legend in Oklahoma circles if he never does another thing for the University of Oklahoma? If this is his one moment in the limelight, Is this going to be good enough to cement his place in history? And the consensus among us, including some of those media members much older than myself, was yes. This ensures that Caleb Williams has a spot in Sooner lore forever. Now, naturally, we were all expecting that Caleb Williams was going on, he was going to go on to do great things for the University of Oklahoma in the months and years ahead. And he, I, he, he did some more good things over the course of the latter half of that 2021 season. But now, you know, you sit here and look back on that year as the only year that he'll ever play football in a University of Oklahoma uniform. And all of a sudden, that conversation has a much greater significance. And so, to me, that is, yeah, that's what Caleb Williams will always be remembered for is that game against Texas, the greatest comeback in the history of the Red River Showdown, And in my eyes, Mike, just from a comprehensive standpoint in terms of environment and atmosphere and narratives and storylines and the overall experience, that's the best football game I've ever witnessed in person. Now... As far as Caleb Williams saying, I want to have more Super Bowl wins than Tom Brady, look, that's all fine and well. Sure, that's what everybody's gunning for, right? Every single quarterback wants to grow up and break all of the records. Whether they own up to it or not, that's what everybody wants. They want to be the guy that's remembered as the greatest to ever play the game. But Mike, we are talking about a guy in Tom Brady that is the NFL's answer to Bill Russell. Right, it's pretty obvious that we're never going to see any NBA player win 11 rings ever again. Likewise, I think it's pretty obvious that we're never going to see another player, and per- per- specifically no other quarterback, ever win seven Super Bowls in the NFL.
0: I would say that's a safe bet, yes. Uh, and remember, in the uh, Super Bowl Kansas City Tampa Bay everybody was talking about man this is the chance Pat Mahomes right here Patrick Mahomes could be the next Brady he's the one guy who could challenge and then Tampa Bay won of course so um, it'll be interesting to see how many Mahomes winds up with but um, you know uh, one I would would have thought that he might have uh, at least two by now based on when he won his first but Again, still stuck with one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Your favorite sport, what kind of shape is it in right now? Good, bad, or ugly? What do you think? We'll get into that when we get back. We've got George Stoya coming up at 1230, or pardon me, 135. 135, We're already past 1235. And if you want to hit us up, Air Comfort Solutions text line, always there for you, area code 405-651-3439. We're coming right back here on The Ref. George Stoya coming up at 1:35 uh, here on the program. Good to have you with us on a Thursday edition. Mike Steely Parker Thune on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. All right, so I was thinking about this because you uh, you probably saw the story on ESPN.com about possible changes for the NBA. There's been talk of a midseason tournament, uh, reducing the uh, the regular season schedule down to like 58 games. You know, going with the uh, the Elam. Uh, way to end the game. I believe that's what they're calling it. Where at a certain point in the game, with four minutes left, you add seven to the uh, team that's leading the game score at that point, and then that is the game. The way you close it out, you can avoid you know fouls and a lot of other stuff, uh, and, and basically make the game more exciting. And I was thinking about this because we are in a, a digital age. We're in an age where it's "look at me, man, look at how great my life is" on Instagram. A lot of that, of course, is BS uh, because everybody has the same issues. But you know what I'm talking about. And attention spans are shorter than they've ever been. Include look, I'm throwing myself in that category too. I, you know, whether we're watching a game or. Shay and I are, you know, in the living room and we're watching Netflix or whatever. I'm still picking up my phone every couple minutes and looking at it when I know there's probably not going to be anything happening. I'm still doing that. Do you find yourself doing that, Parker? Are you guilty also?
1: Well, yes, very much so. And it's a lot. It's very easy to be guilty of that, particularly when you're in our line of work.
0: And you know, and we and we all have notifications turned on for people that we think are going to break a story or somebody you know, athlete or celebrity we're interested in or, you know, something else that we're interested in. We have those notifications, so why do we pick up the phone? I still remember the 60 Minutes piece uh, with a guy who is at Google who was criticizing, you know, algorithms and everything. I can't remember the guy's name. I mean, he's not a big name, but he was basically saying, oh, yeah, we we, we programmed, yes, you to be thinking that you need to look at your phone every second. Like, it needs to be attached to you, basically. We, we have made it that way. There are things that we can do to make you feel like you have to be on your phone, looking at your phone or iPad or whatever at all times. And that get in, gets into a little bit of what we're talking about with the sports world these days because I'm thinking about your favorite sport. And I think around here, you know, most of us would say college football, number one. And a lot of it is uh, with the Thunder, if they're going great when they had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden, they went to the NBA Finals, or they were a serious contender in the West. Um, you know, Thunder basketball was huge as well. But I don't think there are a lot of people watching NBA basketball right now, even Thunder fans that are going through a, a full game. I, I just don't think they can do it. What do you think about right now, I think the NFL is still going great. The NFL is the most popular sport out there, and I don't know that you need to change a lot about the NFL, but the NBA season is way too long. Um, It's hard for me, Parker. I don't know if you're the same, and a lot of it's due to your schedule, and, you know, you've got another gig, I've got another gig, but so it's time plays into that. But for me, it's almost like if there's no drama in the game, unless it's OU, or osu from time to time or maybe a thunder game but uh, you know we all used to watch thunder games from the opening tip to the end right pretty much i think a lot of people here did when they were going really well now uh, that's not happening and for me if i don't have any drama there's no drama in game 71 of the nba season unless you know it's LeBron comes to town with the Lakers or something, and Russ returns or whatever. But in Major League Baseball, you're playing 162. I don't know. I I just wonder in the long term how some of these sports are going to have to adapt. Baseball is in a bad situation, and, you know, forever and ever it was the national pastime. But the games take too long. I mean, college baseball games take forever. Uh, Major League Baseball games, and I've always said baseball is best enjoyed at the ballpark. It's not a great TV sport. What do you think in terms of our major sports, uh, in terms of who's in trouble down the road? I'm not saying they're going to go away, but who's in good shape and what sports in not very good shape right now?
1: Look, if I can be completely honest here, Mike, I thought professional sports across this country were at their best before everybody decided to screw with them. All of the changes that are being made to the NFL and to the MLB and to the NBA, when we're talking about reformatting NBA games or adjusting the season, we already live in a world where over half of the NBA makes the postseason, Mm -hmm. Mike. So not making the postseason is more exclusive than making the postseason. Think about that for a second. Yeah. And then you have Major League Baseball where they're putting all these bizarre restrictions on the time between pitches. Let's put a runner pitching, at second base and all
0: that stuff. Yeah,
1: And in the yeah. NFL, of course, they're trying to do away with kickoffs. They move back the extra point. And look, I, I'm not going to sit here and stand on my soapbox and try to act like a purist with regard to sports. Because some change and some innovation is good. But I think a real easy way to lose the interest of the public is to lose touch with your roots. And to me, I I am very much a baseball purist. And you know that, Mike. I played the game for years and years. I saw nothing wrong with the way that the MLB was being played before they started messing around with the pitch clock and putting the runner on second base and extra innings. And to me... I understand the games take a while, and I understand in today's culture in which attention spans have been so shortened by the existence of things like smartphones and social media, I understand it's harder for people to sit down and watch an entire baseball game start to finish. But when you start to make all of these changes to the way that the game has been played for decades— Then you risk alienating the people who, despite the advent of technology and the smartphone and social media, will take the time to sit down and watch a baseball game start to finish. Mm -hmm. So to me, Major League Baseball is in the twilight zone right now where they don't appeal to the new consumer, the borderline fan, as it were. But they're also losing the interest of the devoted, diehard baseball fan. It also doesn't help that they're engaged in a lockout right now and aren't going to be starting the season on time. At least that's what everything points to at the moment. So to me, baseball is not in a good position moving forward, and that falls primarily on Rob Manfred. Now, as far as the NBA, I think there (laughs) there needs to be a drastic pendulum swing in the other direction when we are talking about how many teams make the postseason and postseason structure and all that. Because when 20 of the 30 teams in the NBA are making the postseason, like, I'm sorry, it gets watered down. It gets diluted in my eyes. And uh, 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 explain to me how they're going to adjust this late-game scenario thing again.
0: Oh, there's talk about, and we saw this, uh was it the All-Star game, I think, that started with this, where uh at a certain point in the game, if there's, like, four minutes left in the game, there's a designated time, they add seven, let's say the Lakers are up 70 to 60 on the Thunder. Okay. At four minutes left, then the you add seven to the Lakers total, it'd be 77, so the first team to 77 wins, so uh that's how it would play out in that scenario, and... You know, they, they used it in the All-Star game. I don't know. My thing is I'm looking at – I don't watch – here's how I'll watch an OU basketball game a lot of the times. Shay and I will be in with the dogs, and we may be watching a Netflix show, whether it's Ozark or Inventing Anna or whatever show we've been watching, and I'll watch the OU game. A lot of – you know, some of the games have been on ESPN Plus. You have no choice. But I'll watch the OU game, and, you know you know, all the players – So I watch the OU game while I'm watching a Netflix show. Uh, I'll do that sometimes with the Thunder, too. But I find myself, unless there's some real drama, I can't get as excited as I used to to watch Game 44 of the NBA season. Or, you know, uh, uh, the last time I watched a Major League Baseball game outside of the playoffs from the first pitch to the last out was – years and years and years ago i just can't do it there are so many people out there that want to look at themselves watch themselves and watch their friends on tiktok and man i know i sound like clint eastwood and gran torino here but i just wonder how many how the sports are going to have to adapt to you know attract those young people and hopefully they won't go too far I mean, can you say, oh, the NBA game, this is an eight-minute game today, two-minute court. You know, I just I don't know what the future is going to look like. Who knows? We may have uh, Stephen Hawking said, beware of the uh, AI that, that we create. They could eventually take over. So maybe, maybe it will be a, a, a basketball game between the Oklahoma City Thunder and San Antonio played by robots. Who knows? Sam Presti might be a cyborg. We don't know we don't know but it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because sports don't have and I know for people my age like oh, okay whatever dude but sports there's so much more competition sports is still entertainment it is still entertainment and there's so much more competition out there than there ever has been before it's like going to play in a golf tournament where you used to beat maybe you played in in your club championship and you had to beat you know six or seven people to win and now you've got you know a hundred people in the field uh it's tougher now than it's ever been for marketing people for I, i can only imagine what the meetings are like with Josie and joe harris and trying to figure out you know how to get more kids to the basketball game more people to the arena stuff like that because there are just so many more options out there than ever before just a thought. All right, we're going to break right here. We got George Stoya coming up. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley, sponsoring our second hour. Exit 72. Keep thinking about Exit 72. If you want a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group, they're going to treat you right with a great guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. We're coming right back with George Stoya. Up next. Here on the home of Sooner fans, that would be the one and only Ref Radio Network. How about that? We're going to bring in uh, George Stoya with a little uh, rage against the machine right there. Uh, the Tom Morello Rift. The Rift is coming. It's one of the better ones. Evil Empire. Good one. There it is. There it is. Harvard Law graduate Tom Morello. I still like Zach Della Roca a little bit better, though, myself.
1: Tom Morello is Joe- in the running for most interesting man in the world, though.
0: He is he is an interesting dude, there's no doubt. Uh, I loved Rage back in the day. Loved Rage Against the Machine. Awesome band. All right, George Stoya, awesome writer, Sooner grad, and uh, we bring George on from time to time, not only to talk a little uh, Denver Broncos football with us, but uh, Sooner sports as well because you know he's keeping up on those uh, as well, out in Colorado. Let's start with the Aaron Rodgers stuff. You know, at one point last off season, we thought we might just see Aaron Rodgers in Denver, and it sounds like a decision is coming down fairly quickly for Aaron Rodgers. After all, he just went through his uh, cleanse, of course. Uh, are Bronco fans talking this up still, or uh, after what happened, uh, you know, last off season, has that talk kind of subsided somewhat?
4: Oh no, it's uh, very much um, an Aaron Rodgers town here in Denver. I mean, that's all anybody wants to talk about. You turn on sports talk here and it's, it's, that's all anyone uh, is talking about. And, and I do think a decision is coming soon. I know there was a report this morning uh, from ESPN that it should be coming shortly. I, I would expect, you know maybe by Monday, uh, we, we might hear a decision. Um, you know maybe later in the week, next week. I think it's going to happen though here. Uh, over the course of the next week, and I know the Broncos are obviously still very interested. Um, they're a team that I think a lot of people, you know, circle um, when you talk about trade destinations, and that's because they have a lot of young pieces and they have a lot of draft assets that they got from the Von Miller trade uh, and other trades that they could put um, together in a pretty big deal uh, to send to Green Bay. And also, you know, it's rumored uh, that that Aaron Rodgers wants a, a $50 million per year. Uh, kind of deal and uh, the Broncos are one of the few teams that have the cap space um, to be able to do that you know going forward if they were to sign him um, to an extension once they traded for him so uh, it's definitely interesting I know the Broncos for sure have expressed interest I know Green Bay is not necessarily taking calls right now uh, and they probably won't be until Aaron says hey I want to be traded so uh, it's going to be an interesting next few days because I do think we're going to finally get some news here pretty soon.
1: Now, George, uh, last we had you on, which would have been last month, I believe, we discussed what plan B might look like for the Denver Broncos at the quarterback position if they don't end up with Aaron Rodgers. In your eyes, the way that things have transpired since the end of the NFL season and as we gear up, For the offseason in the NFL draft. What do you think plan B should be? Is that that a push for Russell Wilson? Is it maybe signing a guy like Mitch Trubisky? Is it sticking with Drew Locke? What do you think the best course of action for the Broncos is if they end up on the outside looking in with Rodgers?
4: Well, I think it's obviously Russell Wilson, Uh, and I think that that's a lot of teams' plan B when you talk about the quarterback movement that's offseason. If Russell Wilson ends up asking for a trade out of Seattle or if the Seahawks want to move on for some reason, uh, I think that Russell Wilson would obviously be a top priority. The realistic plan B, though, I think is a situation where maybe you try and get a Kirk Cousins who's obviously really familiar with the GM here, George Payton, who was the assistant GM in Minnesota when they went and got Kirk that off season. Uh, Also Clint Kubiak, who was the offensive coordinator last year in Minnesota is now the quarterback's coach, for the Broncos, so I think Kirk Cousins makes a lot of sense. I don't know if Minnesota uh, wants to move on from him, but I think that that's the next name. And then, obviously, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is, a, is another name that's going to continue to be thrown out there. I, I think you do bring up a good point, though, uh, with Mitchell Trubisky. I think that he's a name that not many people are talking about right now. I think he's a guy um, that somebody's going to pick up. I know right now he's he's a backup, I believe, in Buffalo, but I think he's a name. You know, Huntley in, in Baltimore is another name that's been thrown out that – He played well at times this year, filling in for Lamar Jackson. So there's some other lower-tier names in there that I don't think many people have given a lot of thought to. But if I were to put them in order, I think it would be Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and then there's probably just a handful of guys, including Teddy Bridgewater, maybe bringing him back uh, for a second season here in Denver.
0: George Stoya with us, Mike Steele, Parker Thune, Steelman and Thune here at noon on the Home of Sooner Fans, the Ref Radio Network. All right, uh, George, OU grad, uh, you know, OU in your blood. Uh, you get got the lineage to the football program and everything. Uh, I want to know what you're hearing out there among your colleagues when you go around covering games and, and talk to the other writers uh, it seems the national narrative on Oklahoma football is, man, what, what's going to happen to Oklahoma now? Are they, are they going to end up, you know, just like Nebraska when they get to the SEC? Are you hearing uh, some of your colleagues when they talk to you about Oklahoma maybe uh, saying the same kind of things? Or are you hearing some excitement for the Brent Venables hire at OU?
4: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting because I think a lot of people um, that aren't familiar with Oklahoma and, and really aren't familiar with what transpired over the last year, because as you guys know, a lot of things happen behind closed doors that uh, people in Oklahoma know about uh, or feel a certain way about that. Maybe national media or people here in Denver or whoever that aren't plugged in as much uh, are unaware of. And, and I think that a lot of people think is going to be on a decline. Uh, a lot of people don't even – I mean, people know the name Brent Venables, but it wasn't uh, – unless you were an OU fan or somebody that grew up watching Oklahoma football, I don't think Brent Venables was a huge, flashy name uh, to go out and hire. And so I think that that's part of it is people are like, oh, yeah, Brent Venables, yeah, he was the defensive coordinator at Clemson, but, uh, you know, he's never been a head coach before. So is going to be on the decline and they're going to the SEC. And I think that that's the perception. I mean, I remember – uh, when Lincoln originally left left for USC and and the Broncos were playing at that time, and a lot of people came up to me, was like, "Oh man, I'm sorry, OU's not going to be any good anymore, are they?" And uh, I was like, oh, "I wouldn't say that. They've been, uh, you know, uh, a blue blood program, you know, since the '50s. So um, I, I think that they'll be just fine, especially if they go out and get the right guy. And again, I, I've said on here multiple times, I think Brent Venables is the right guy. So I would say, yeah. I mean, I think the national, you know, narrative is that." Oklahoma is going to have uh, a drop off under Venables, and and I just don't necessarily think that's true. Maybe next year they're not, you know, competing for a national championship, but I do think the trajectory of the program uh, is actually in a better spot than maybe it was uh, under Lincoln Riley, because I do think that they kind of gained this perception these last few years of, of losing the big games, right, getting in the playoff and not winning those games, and I, I just I, I think that Venables uh, is pointing them in the right direction to get. To this, you know, to that same spot that uh, you know, programs like Alabama and Georgia are on currently,
1: George, as you look around the big twelve, and obviously, we don't know how long it's going to be until Oklahoma makes the transition to the SEC. could be a year, could be two years, could be three years. Whatever the case, for the remainder of Oklahoma's tenure in the Big 12, who do you look at as the Sooners' primary competition? Who are they going to be doing battle with more so than anything else for the title of cream of the crop in the Big 12? Is that Dave Aranda in Baylor, Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas? Which of those Big 12 programs right now do you think is headed in the best direction?
4: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting, Parker, because, and you guys know this, it feels like the last few years obviously Oklahoma's been on top and it seems like every year there's a, there's a new opponent whether it be TCU has an up year or, or Baylor like last year or Iowa State you know there for a few years and it's kind of been you know a, a revolving door and, and I think obviously Texas will always be one of those teams I know obviously that they, they've, they've not been very good recently but uh, they've always got great players right they, they, they haven't lacked talent uh, necessarily in recent years so I think that you have to put them in that category Um, I think Iowa State under Matt Campbell has done a really good job. I think they're going to drop off this year, obviously lose a lot of guys, a lot of talented players that have been there for a long time. Uh, I think Baylor, Dave Aranda, has that program moving in the right direction. I think he's doing a really good job of the recruiting trail, finding players that maybe not other programs have been going after. Uh, And one of the teams that I think, and maybe I'm biased because my my cousin is actually on the staff there, is Kansas State. Uh, I think that they have a a good chance to be pretty good next year. I think going out – getting Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, who I know has had an up and down career, but you put him in that system and and they really haven't had a quarterback. um, You know, that's been that consistent Skylar Howard has been injured, you know, throughout his career, but you put Adrian Martinez in that, that system with uh, Deuce Vaughn. I think that they have a really good shot to be um, kind of a surprise team next year. So I think it's kind of a host of teams, right? I mean, you never really know. I think there's always that surprise team. Oklahoma state. I mean, obviously they're moving in the right direction uh, with the season they had this last year. So, um, I, I think that it, it's kind of a group. I, I know that didn't really answer your question, but I really think it's kind of a, a mix of, of teams uh, in the Big 12 every year, and there's always maybe a surprise team that comes out of nowhere, OSU maybe being that team last year. So um, the Big 12's tough. I don't think the Big 12 gets enough credit for being as tough of a conference as, as they really are. All
0: right, George, before I let you go, I, I guess it's been uh, almost two years out of, of Norman for you, right? we're we're approaching two years uh college hangout norman hangout you miss the most and uh norman food you miss the most Uh, they might be the same
4: i i gotta go with diamond dogs of course um (laughs) you know i actually hosted a podcast there i think my (laughs) junior sophomore junior year i'd host a live podcast and uh had a bunch of people on and and you know that was the place to go and i was telling my brother who you know he's a junior now at ou and and he was telling me, you know, there's no place to go eat late at night, you know, when you're having a good time on campus corner. I was like, man, Diamond Dogs was well, the place. So to hear that it's reopening, I think that happened maybe this last weekend. Uh, that's a big deal, man, because those calls, you know, they get hungry at 1 or 2 o'clock a.m. Uh, you know, when they're out having a good time. So I have to go with Diamond Dogs, get the Wonder Boy. If you're there, I hope they still have the uh, the margaritas too because those were those were some of my favorite my favorite drinks too. But uh, and O'Conn's you can't go wrong with O'Connell's either. I have to shout out O'Conn's because I spent a lot of time at O'Connell's while I was in college.
0: George, good stuff, man. We love checking in with you every now and then, and uh, still seeing your stuff there when you when you tweet out your stuff. Uh, it, it looks to me uh, you're you're enjoying your life in Colorado. It's got to be beautiful out there, obviously.
4: Oh, yeah, I, I, lo- I love Colorado. The weather's great. Um, you know, most of the time it's like five degrees today, and I know you guys are dealing with some weather too. But uh, I, I love it here, but, you know, I, I, I still miss Oklahoma uh, every day. Especially, I went back home this last weekend, and I was like, man, I really miss Oklahoma. So maybe one day I'll come back.
0: There you go. George Stoya, we'll talk to you again soon. George, thanks.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
0: All right, we're going to break right here. Riverwind Casino, ladies and gentlemen, get out there for Friday night. It is the $80,000 drawing, the the big drawing for $80,000 in cash and bonus play. They've been given away in the River of Romance giveaway. They also have, they've got an IHOP now at the food court. I mean, you've got the best promotions, the best games, the best service, best bars and restaurants. You add IHOP that you can have 24-7 to the mix out there. That's a Grand Slam home run. Well, Denny's is the Grand Slam, but you know what I'm talking about. IHOP, breakfast, best meal of the day. Now you got that 24-7 out at Riverwind. That's why they are simply the best. All right, we're coming right back. One more segment to go here on The Ref. Keep it here. Okay, closing out the Thursday edition here on uh, Steel Man and Thune at noon. Hope you're doing all right. Hope you're being safe. Hope you're staying warm. Uh, the, the main roads aren't that bad. But, uh, man, George Stoy mentioned uh, Diamond Dogs. Were you a Diamond Dogs guy? I have never Parker? been to Diamond Dogs. Really? Yes, that's like,
1: that is, I think, it's one of the very few food purveyors. In Norman and particularly surrounding campus that I have never patronized. So I'm looking forward to it coming back because uh, I need to experience it at a certain point in time. Isn't that where Joe Mixon got into trouble back in the day? No, that was Pickleman's.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, back in the day. Uh, But uh, you know what? Hot dogs, pizza, barbecue, three foods that will never get old. Can we agree on that? I mean, I, I could I could have pizza, a hot dog, and some barbecue every night for the rest of my life.
1: I don't know. I'm very, I, I've, very I've, happy. <laughs> I feel like my bro- my blood pressure would get very high at a certain point in time.
0: Yolo, man! You only live once. Even if it's you know mid 50s or something, at least you enjoy some really good food. Actually, you know. I need to improve my diet, but I'm I'm having fun with my diet right now. It's uh, it's very sugary and very uh, well. It's pizza, hot dogs, barbecue, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my wife now she's super disciplined. Her her diet, you know, she's smart. I'm not, so that's the difference, pretty much. Okay, uh, any other uh, closing notes we need to get to before we get out of here? You and uh, Tyler will have uh, locked in coming up here in a few minutes at the top of the hour. Always some great uh, suitor football stuff during that hour, including uh, the very latest in recruiting and more. So that's coming up here in just a bit.
1: Uh, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, going back to the Aaron Rodgers conversation, uh, one texter says, it's the girlfriend that has got him doing this, so uh, Shailene, Shailene Woodley, is, Woodley taking, yeah. is taking the blame, I guess.
0: But did they did they not break up, or did they say what was the news? Was the news would they're not engaged or something like that? I, I don't guess they're friends. I don't know. Either. Celebrity Aaron relationships
1: Rogers. are way too dramatic for me to pay much attention to.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. What is the worst? Lamar Odom got ruined by the Kardashians. There's no doubt. Uh,
1: Yes, he did. (laughs) Oh, boy. Lamar Lamar Odom got the short end of the stick on that one.
0: The Kardashians turned us all into, well, not all of us, but into a look-at-me society. I need my attention. I'm not really that good at anything, but I can make sure that people think that I'm really important. You know, and you have to be uh, somewhat attractive, obviously, as well. But, you know, they don't do really, look, well, they're fashion designers now. Yes, because they became popular because of, well, Kim's video. And uh, they're, I I don't know. I think once we look at the uh, down the road, when the history of how it all came to an end, the Kardashians becoming prominent figures in society will probably be one of the reasons for the downfall.
1: So, hang on. How how culpable are the Kardashians in Putin's invasion of
0: Ukraine? Very. Absolutely very. This is kind of scary stuff, by the way. Putin, of course, pure evil. But um, we'll see how this is going to play out. You never, you know, golly, and all the people, you know, freeing the Ukraine, fleeing right now. Scary stuff. Very scary stuff. I, I do think that uh, Muleshoe will also be uh, part of the uh, reason for the decline of civilization, too, uh, because of selfish people like him uh, who just lie. I mean, flat-out lie. He'll be part of the problem as well. There's no doubt. One of the big figures in the downfall of society down the road when the history books are written. All right, got to get out of here. We've got... Locked in. Coming up next, Parker joining Tyler McComas for a really good hour of radio, ton of sooner information and conversation. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley for sponsoring our second hour. They are awesome. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car or truck. We're out of here. Locked in up next.
5: You know, when you spend the opening segment of every single show trying to fight off the national media members that think OU's going to suck next year and, you know, you spend 15 to 20 minutes making fun of them, sometimes you lose track, Parker, of actually real things that are out there that we should be talking and caring about. I totally forgot until today that, yeah, Josh Connerly and uh, Lebby Soverton are still out there right now. And as I kind of dug into the current situation with Josh Connerly, I did not like what I uh, found in terms of uh, OU's chances right here. He's visiting OU this or visiting USC, I'm sorry, this weekend, correct? Is that the plan? This week. Oh gosh, let me think
1: here he wouldn't be visiting USC this weekend because it's there a dead was period, one so. recruiting
5: service that uh, was saying that he's going to be visiting USC coming up this weekend interesting um, I'll double check on that one to see if yeah they, no they regardless have that I know wrong. I know he is
1: visiting USC and I know there is confidence in the USC camp that Connerly is going to be a Trojan so uh look this is I, I've been telling you the exact same thing I've been telling you all the exact same thing about this recruitment for quite a while now don't get your hopes up Just don't. Everybody is better off just not getting their hopes up about Josh Connerly. If we get a surprise of all surprises and he decides to commit to Oklahoma after exhausting his visits, then great. It's not something I would bank on. It's not something that I would consider a likelihood or even a strong possibility
5: at the moment. Oklahoma is in the running, and that's about it right now. So he's visiting USC the 25th through the 27th, but, Parker, it's March 25th through the okay, 26th, not gotcha, gotcha. February. And you know, I was confused too. Like, I thought that this was the dead period because there's not a whole lot of recruiting stuff coming out right now. But uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's going to be visiting USC next month. This is still going to last a while. And I don't know. I'm kind of ready to set sail on this whole thing about OU's chances. Now, we can look to Lebius Overton's recruitment, but there seems to be a pretty popular thought here that A&M is still. Really leading the way on this one as well. That's where the safe money is.
1: But uh, as Billy Napier so eloquently put it, scared money don't make money. So Oklahoma is very much in it for Lebius Overton, much more so than they are for Josh Connerly. And, you know, it, I think early last week was last we talked about these two guys. I said it before, I'll say it again. You should be a lot more confident about OU's chances with Lebius Overton than with Josh Connerly. And I was actually talking to a couple sources last night that believe Oklahoma is actually trending in the right direction as of right now for Overton.
5: So, and if you had to pick between the two, it's not it's not close. You would take Lebius Overton over Josh Connerly. Connerly's a nice player, but sure. I I would I would rather have Lebius Overton even with the plus 1 that he brings along.
1: Yeah, you'd rather ha- I think you would rather have a game wrecker on the defensive line than a uh, top-flight offensive tackle. Because you know for a fact that whoever Bill Bedenboe puts out there at left and right tackle, those are going to be football players. Those are going to be guys that are capable of protecting the quarterback. And so, especially at the University of Oklahoma, you would much rather have an elite defensive lineman the likes of LT Overton. That's going to be Texas A&M, Oklahoma, and Oregon that are in the final running for LT. And ultimately – It's going to come down to OU and Texas A&M. By the way, I was talking to David Hicks last night. Oh, nice. Five-star defensive lineman. Still some good news there. That's going to be an OU-A&M battle, which isn't a huge secret. But uh, one of the things he said that uh, kind of took me by surprise and uh, is something that most fans will either love or hate to hear is that he wants to play with LT Overton.
5: Ah, huh. So, if that swings <laughs>
1: A&M's direction, yeah. maybe you feel worse about Hicks's chances, but yeah, if that-
5: LT ends up in Norman,
1: then Count you're me si- in that you're camp. sitting pretty. Right. For DJ. Well, it
5: is interesting that and there's always been OU A&M recruiting battles, but it seems like, you know, over the over time it's been more OU Texas heads-up recruiting battles. I wonder how much OU and Texas going to the SEC is going to impact A&M. And I think that I, I – got to feel like they're going to feel the hit of it just because you know they've always had the at least an edge over OU and Texas here recently in the past decade is – I mean, yeah, you can go to OU and Texas, whatever, but we're your avenue to the SEC you if go. you're in the state of Texas and, and, and want to go uh, play in that conference. A&M's not going to have that anymore. Texas is a bigger brand. Oklahoma's a bigger brand and a better program. I it's not crazy to understand, you know, why they were so mad when this was first coming. I think AM's gonna feel uh, quite a bit of a recruiting hit when those two schools go in the league. And that's why AM is emptying the chamber, right? Totally now to try
1: and sign as many elite guys as they can because this window is pivotal. It is pivotal for the future of Texas AM football. Because if they don't have Something that they can add to their recruiting pitch in terms of accomplishment, a college football playoff appearance, potentially a national title, at the very least an SEC championship. If they don't have that by the time Oklahoma and Texas have firmly established themselves in the SEC – they're very quickly going to start losing virtually all of those. They're just kind of one
5: of the guys in the SEC, just kind of one of the mid-level guys, you know, and and, in in their success in the conference, that's what they've been. But, yes, they've had an edge in the – in the state of Texas, and yeah, what you're saying, that's not going to be the case Five anymore. years
1: down the road, if A&M still doesn't have a national title, a college football playoff appearance, or an SEC championship, what is their pitch? Well, legitimately, you, what is it? Because, can you mark
5: me down for that is going to be true, by the way, in the next five years? <laughs> I mean, put me down for that, Okay, please. noted. But legitimately, what is their pitch? Because if you want to
1: say, hey, stay in the state of Texas, but play in the SEC, well, UT can make the same claim. You want to say, stay in the central time zone and play in the SEC. Well, all of a sudden, you've got OU and Texas among a plethora of schools that can make that same pitch. And so, if you don't have the accomplishments, if you don't have the trophies, if you don't have the accolades to be able to go toe-to-toe on the recruiting ground with the likes of OU and Texas in particular – then your recruiting efforts are going to take a major hit.
5: They'll just outbid everyone, or at least that's what they'll try to do. Like, this wasn't a flash-in-the-pan, one-year type of thing. Um, there's going to be several schools active in NIL, but I think as we move forward, Parker, especially uh, with, with OU and Texas going to the league, a&M is going to be the, the the biggest school out there that's going to push NIL. They're going to push it more than anyone else. They're going to use it more than anyone else. And to their credit, it, it is legal. But you're right, unless national titles are coming – they're not unless conference titles are coming. They're not. They're going to have to find a certain niche, and their niche is going to be to pay more than everybody else. And
1: if nil is what you're pushing, you're going to end up getting hamstrung at a certain point in time because yeah. there are going to get reg- they're going to be regulations that get put in place eventually. I don't know what they look like, but it's pretty clear, and everything's headed in that direction. Everybody's kind of starting to realize, okay, we bit off more than we could chew with nil. And we need to put some guidelines in place as to how this is going to operate and how we're going to maintain an uh, a level playing field across college football. So if Texas A&M is putting all their chips in the middle with NIL, then great. That'll have a very lucrative short-term payoff, as you saw in the class of 2022, for instance. But even four or five years down the road— I'm not sure that that's going to have nearly the same impact for a And M that it's had the last couple. of I, Yeah, I, I agree, and I don't
5: think a And M's just going to fall off a cliff recruiting and be outside the top 25. I'm not. I, I don't. They'll, they'll still get kids. They're still going to get kids, but the number one overall class, top three class, yeah, I, I think that that could be coming to an end here pretty quickly for a And M. Uh, the the party days may be over down there in College Station when it comes to that. Hey, it is the dead period right now. But what OU's got a pretty big weekend coming up here in about nine days. This is yes, they do probably what got to be the biggest recruiting weekend they've had up to this point. Certainly For one Brent of the the new yeah. staff. Certainly,
1: yeah, uh, I would say probably biggest recruiting weekend period since last year's Champion Barbecue. I mean, there is a laundry list of elite prospects that are going to be in town on march 5th you're looking at guys from the 23 class the 24 class and the 25 class as well so it is going to be an absolutely loaded weekend of visitors on campus come march 5th Uh, latest guy i was able to confirm yesterday is nigel smith who will be a five star in the class of 2024 when the first composite rankings for that cycle come out melissa texas is his hometown uh and he will be in town on the 5th, with what will mostly be 2023 guys, but you'll have a few 2024s like Smith sprinkled in, and at least one 2025 that I know of.
5: Is it a huge weekend or a big weekend in terms of number of guys that are there, or just because that every dude that that is there is a very high priority target, very highly ranked kid in the 23, 24, 25 class, whatever? Yeah, look, I mean, there aren't scrubs
1: showing up next week. There aren't. Everybody on this list is a nationally regarded recruit. You're talking about the likes of Richard Young, for instance, the number one running back in the 2023 class. Caden Green, one of the top ten offensive tackles in the country, and in my eyes, a heavy OU lean. Edrick Hill, a four-star lineman who's got the Alabama offer. He's got an Oregon offer. Oklahoma hasn't offered yet, but from what I understand, they're on the precipice. Joshua Bates, who's committed to OU and is probably going to be a four-star by the end of the cycle. He'll be in town as well. You're talking about a couple fast-rising linebackers in Samaje Burrell and Darion Gallette. And then, obviously, you throw in a guy like Nigel Smith from the 2024 class, who in all likelihood is going to be a five-star. Oh, man. There is such an opportunity for Oklahoma to make a huge stride in each of these respective recruitments. And there will be – I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg on this list. We're going to be looking at anywhere from 30 to 40 visitors – Oh, 6th, I was thinking I about
5: thirty or forty states represented because you mentioned Colorado in there, you mentioned the Kansas City area in there, you mentioned Texas in there, you mentioned Florida in there as well. So there, uh, it's not just like a regional weekend. They got kids from all over the country. Well, yeah, I mean, let's just run days. through it.
1: I've got about, I've got probably half the list sitting right here in front of me. Texas, Florida, Kansas, Georgia, New Jersey, Florida again. Missouri and Colorado. So yeah, like they're bringing in dudes from all over and you look ahead to March 26th, you got more Georgia kids coming in, you got more Florida kids coming in, Kyler Casper, the new offer, the four-star wideout out of Arizona. Oklahoma is a national brand in terms of recruiting, and I understand that that's not earth-shaking to anybody, but make no mistake about it, the transition from Mule Shoe to Brent Venables has not resulted in Oklahoma losing any luster in the public eye. In terms I of really ability. like
5: the idea of uh, a lot of these Florida kids coming to campus. I mean, coming to campus, but coming to campus at the same time, too, because you are really trying to make an effort to get into that state. And I think you're already doing a good job doing that, but you know how it is. Guys from out of state being on campus at the same time, they form a friendship, want to end up playing together. Maybe that's at OU. So uh, I love to hear that Florida's going to be uh, very active coming up on this big recruiting weekend early next month, man. I, I think that's a pretty big-time thing.
1: I would expect that perennially from now on, you will, you will see Oklahoma sign close to double-digit players from the southeast. I'm talking about Florida, Georgia, Alabama. I would figure that 10 to 12 signees a year will come from that region.
5: Well, that that would make everyone around here happy. I can tell you that much. 405-651-3439. You got questions, comments, hit us up on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll get to that and more coming up next. We are locked in right here on The Ref. It's the homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune. Tyler and Parker inside the Brown O'Haver studio. Keep it coming on the Air Cover Solutions text line. Hit us up there, 405-651-3439. I, I know it annoys you. I just I love that it annoys you, and I love that the hype is just so already out of control. I know where this is going. For Arch Manning. Well, not only are there odds listed of where he's going to end up. Oh, which good gracious. I can't remember another recruit – where odds were listed to where he was going to end up playing college football. Maybe there's someone out there where that's been the case, but I can't remember another guy. And I certainly can't remember anyone where he hadn't taken a college snap yet. He hasn't even picked where he's going to school. And there's already odds out if he'll win the Heisman Trophy. (laughs) Not even the Heisman, if he'll win a Super Bowl or not. Can you believe that? God, pressure much on Arch Manning? There's already odds out if he's going to win the Super Bowl or not. Which, by the way, will Arch win the Super Bowl? Yes. You only get plus three hundred as a payout. Are you blanking kidding me on that yeah, one? Yeah, I, I, I would actually. I would bet money on no. No, minus four hundred is uh is the odds there. Winning a Super Bowl is hard, guy. And I know that two people in his family were able to do it, but jeez. You only get plus 300 odds for this kid who hasn't even picked where he's going to play in college to win a Super Bowl. And then on the Heisman Trophy, yes is at plus 250, no is at minus 200. So good luck there, Arch. By the way, odds of where he'll go to school. Georgia is the favorite at plus 200. Texas at plus 250. Bama at plus 350. Ole Miss plus 500. LSU plus 2,000. Florida plus 3,000. Ohio State plus 3,000. Tennessee plus thirty five hundred. Oklahoma's not even listed, huh? Oklahoma's not even listed. Beautiful. Let him go to Texas. I will. uh, I hope he goes to Texas. I think uh, if I had to bet, I'll go ahead and do the uh, plus three fifty to go to Alabama. That'll be my guess in the end.
1: I would love Mm -hmm. to see him go to Texas because I would love to see him versus
5: Jackson Arnold because I think Jackson Arnold is better than he is. Yeah. Well, maybe it would play out that way. And uh, Texas has been easy to hate uh, since its inception. But it'd be a little bit easier to hate with a uh, Manning back there playing quarterback now, wouldn't it? So that that would be the one, maybe one of the most overhyped recruits we've seen in a long time going f- to play for the most overhyped university. That I feel bad for the kid though, man, because he's
1: so like reserved mm-hmm. and he stays out of the public eye. Like he doesn't do interviews. He's, he's not, not even on social for this. media. He's not. He's not, asking, not for this. asking for any of this. It's the mm-hmm. family that's driving the carousel, and so. I I do feel bad for him because, you know, he just wants to be able to play football. He doesn't want to see his name on the board at Vegas as far as where he's going to end up playing college football or whether he's going to win a Super Bowl or not. So I, I do have some sympathy for Arch himself, but I'm also just like, whoever is running the show here, whether it's Cooper or I don't know who pulls the strings of that recruitment in the Manning family, it's like can can, can
5: can we just let the kid be? I have some sympathy but he's also going to collect a nice payday from uh NIO money well, wherever sure he will. signs, sure you know. he will. But I I do agree with you, I Feel a little bit bad for him. He's not like he's out there uh, looking for all of this. It's just come his way because of his last name. And there's probably going to be unrealistic expect. Obviously, there's going to be unrealistic expectations. There's odds out of it- if he'll win the Heisman Trophy or Super Bowl. And if he doesn't do one or both of those things, his career will probably probably be looked at as a disappointment. And that's not very fair. Now, and he's all- he's he's like Baron Trump. He's always going to have a solid contingent
1: of haters just because of his last name. Sure. There's no doubt about that,
5: man. Hey, you wrote a pretty cool story on OUinsider.com. Uh, go subscribe over there if you haven't already. Taking stock of OU's wide receiver recruiting in the 23 class, it's something that you and I have brought up quite a bit. And when you go kind of on the offer list of o- of who OU's offered, on OUinsider.com it does say 17 wide receivers have been offered. You know, you know, you got to take into account a couple things like DeAndre Moore still out there. We know how that situation ended up. Uh there's a, there's a USC commit out there that's there, but just kind of overall outline a little bit what you wrote about because there are there's a lot of offers that have been going out to to wide receivers in 23. Yes, yeah, so another thing you got to keep in mind as you're looking
1: through the offer list is not only guys that are already committed elsewhere but guys whose offers came from the old staff. Yeah. Right. And so yep. you always have to distinguish between guys that truly have an offer from Oklahoma right now and guys that once had an offer from Oklahoma. So let's just go through the list right now wide receivers. So you got 17 total players here. Brandon Innes, I don't believe he's technically been reoffered, but he's been in contact with the new staff at Oklahoma. So legit target? I would say yes. Zachariah Branch committed to USC, never reoffered by OU. No. Jalen Brown, new offer, five-star guy out of the state of Miami. That's Brent Venable's stomping ground on the recruiting trail. Yes, legit target. Jalen Hale, I've brought up his name time and time again on this show. I really like where OU sits with Jalen Hale, and he is very much a priority target for this staff. So, yes, they're after Jalen Hale. They're also after Shelton Sampson, the five-star out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I really find it hard to believe a kid like that ends up playing anywhere but LSU. But... OU's in the mix. Uh, Jaquais Petaway and Hakeem Williams, neither of those two have an offer from the new staff. DeAndre Moore and Oklahoma went their separate ways. Jaden Greathouse is interesting, and in the article, I put him under the wild cards category because he's never publicly expressed any particular interest in OU, but very quietly, he continues to take unofficial visits, show up to camps that's a guy that you'd, you'd have to imagine OU is in the running for him, particularly because his last visit to campus was a month ago in January, right. Tyler. So OU is very much in contention for Great House. I don't know how serious of a player they'll end up being, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know if anybody will know how serious of a player Oklahoma will end up being because I think Great House is one of those guys uh, that's going to keep it pretty close to the vest. Kyler Casper, OU's hosting him on an unofficial next month. Very good chance they get him on an official as well. You got Ashton Cozart already committed. And then some guys on the fringe down here, Aiden Mizell out of Orlando, Tyler Williams out of Lakeland, Florida, and then Caden Lee out of Georgia. Caden Lee actually visited last month. Uh, so m- maybe, maybe he's the backup plan, I guess, a wide receiver for Oklahoma. But I really do believe – I also did mention it in the article. You have Cozart committed. He's not going anywhere. I would – Put good money on Jalen Hale being a sooner as well. And if I had to guess, who rounds out the class? Maybe they take more than three, but three is kind of the number I'm prognosticating right now. I think the third guy is Cole Adams.
5: Yeah. Well, you got you got a chance to have two five stars, two five star wide receivers in this upcoming class. Um, we'll, time will tell if they're able to get two five stars, but you're in a pretty good position for that to be the case. And when you're bringing up wide receiver commits, all the all the guys that you mentioned right there, man. It's something that we've noticed. Ennis, six foot. Uh, Zachariah Branch is the only guy on that list that is under six foot. He's five ten, and he's committed to USC. Six one, six two, six four, six foot, Uh, six three, six foot, six two, six five. Kozart, six foot three. Like they are going after big wide receivers. They want a big, physically imposing football team, and I think OU is going to look like a more physically imposing football team moving forward. That includes all positions, and that doesn't mean that the wide receivers, they're going to have smaller guys. Cole Adams, if he ends up at OU, will be, quote-unquote, a smaller guy. But for the most part, they're just going to look like a big, physically imposing football team, which I think we all like. And
1: it's almost anachronistic in
5: a sense, isn't it? Because the sexy thing these days
1: is to have a Jalen Waddle on your roster. It's no longer sexy to have a Calvin Johnson on your roster. And, uh, you know, there's only one Calvin Johnson. To be fair, nobody's ever going to be what that dude was at the wide receiver position. But I feel like the love for the big physically imposing jump ball type wide receiver has been lost in today's day and age because everybody wants the Leak Brown that can make anybody miss in the open field and can line up anywhere on the gridiron. And sure, there's a there's a place for that guy. That's the guy that I think Dylan Edwards will be at Oklahoma. You but can't have a whole team of them, though. Exactly. You can't yeah. have a whole team of them. And that's one of the things that I feel like is going to come back to bite USC's new head football coach.
5: Yeah. Well, and I think that that's why Marquise Brown, I mean, one of the reasons why he was so great here is he was a burner. He's exactly what we're just talking about here, kind of in that same mold. But – you had a C.D. Lamb who can compliment him, right? You had Mark, Mark Andrews, Andrews in yeah. 2017 that can complement him. So if you've got bigger wide receivers out there but then have that burner alongside as well, that's when that burner is going to be able to get in the open field, make plays, and get behind a defense. So, yeah, I like the way that they're constructing this uh, wide receiver class right now, but there's not a position that I don't like the way that they're constructing things. They They're going for big physical – but they're going for big and physical – But they're not giving up athleticism. No. They're not going for big guys who can't move. They're just going after guys that are big and can move. It's (laughs) the best of both worlds. It's actually a a pretty good sight to see, man. Well, and you think
1: about what Oklahoma has had in the wide receiver core in years past. You know, there's always always been one guy, at least generally, that has some size. Most recently, that was Jaden Hazelwood in 2020 and 2021. But, man, you get in a situation, for instance, where you're facing, say, second and goal from the eight-yard line. And just take the example of the 2022 class. When you can line up Nick Anderson out wide to the left and Jaden Gibson out wide to the right, and then you got Caden Helms in a three-point stance at the tight end position, who the hell is the defense key on? Because any of those guys – you can throw a jump ball to any of those guys. Any of those guys can beat you inside – It's those types of situations where having that breed of athlete helps you immensely. And for a team like Oklahoma that struggled at times to punch the ball in in the red zone this past season, how much more useful would it have been to have a couple more Jaden Hazelwoods that they could have split? Oh, yeah,
5: because the fade ball, you don't have to be the best quarterback in college football to throw a great fade. I mean, you just kind of throw up a jump ball, essentially. And the fade is my you know, least light play in the playbook, unless you got someone uh, like a Justin Blackman out there who were, they were throwing fades to up there in Stillwater for a couple of years left and right, and seemingly he was coming down with it every single time. So, yeah, and you're right, It would have helped out OU tremendously in the red zone, especially because since Mark Andrews left, we've been saying, oh, well, this is a tight end right here that they're going to get in the middle of the field in the red zone, and he's going to do big things in that area. Um, But that tight end really hasn't emerged. So I like the idea of big receivers in the red zone. And here's the other thing, too. People
1: think about big, wide receivers, and generally all they think about in terms of a big wide receiver's physical advantage, is the 50-50 ball, right? The fade route. That's what they think of when they think, oh, that's where a 6'4", 6'5", guy is going to really come into play and is really going to come in handy. And that's true. But, moreover, what else? You can, the other thing that you can do with a guy with that kind of size is you can throw the ball where nobody but him can go and get it. Sure. and. Uh, we have a new contributor over at OUInsider.com. His name is J.D. Pikel. Uh, played football at Cornell and later at Baylor. Uh, and he is an outstanding film study guru, and he's done some extensive breakdowns of Dylan Gabriel as a quarterback. And one of the things that he's pointed out about Dylan Gabriel's game is that he's very good at putting the ball where only his receiver can go and get it. When you have a receiver who's 6'5", as opposed to 5'11", or foot. That area is much larger. And so when you're talking about a guy in Dylan Gabriel that excels at putting the ball in a spot where only his receiver can make a play and you give him that added bit of leeway... That's really the razor's edge between a good quarterback and a productive quarterback and what could be an elite quarterback and, moreover, an elite offense.
5: Yeah, I mean, call it a calculated risk if you want to. It's the old saying. It's like, if it's our ball or nobody's ball. Like, quarterbacks have been taught so long just to throw the ball away, but... Forget throwing the ball away, Parker. I'd rather have a quarterback that can take a chance down the field and is going to put it in a spot like you're saying. It's our ball or nobody's ball and take my chances there instead of just throwing it away and living for second or third down. So, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to check out some of his film breakdowns. I guess he's got one up right now of BV's defensive scheme, so that'll be pretty good to check out on OUinsider.com. All right, keep the text coming. Air Cover Solutions text line 651-3439. More to come next right here on Locked In. Chapel Supply, bringing you this hour of Locked In with McComas and Thune. Chapel supplies you, and they supply you with the tools to tackle any power washing job, residential or commercial. They can also service all brands of power washers. Check them out, sixty five oh nine West Reno Avenue in Oklahoma City. If you're looking for a new career, they can hook you up with that as well. Apply online today at ChapelSupply.com. Uh, I'll give it. I guess I'll give it up to you, Grambling. You picked one heck of a day to announce Art Bryles as your new offensive coordinator. The most taboo of all taboo names of the sport right now. You waited until uh, war broke out in another conf- uh, n- another, <laughs> another country uh, for you to be like, uh, yeah, we'll bring Art Bryles I tell you out. what, only Vladimir Putin could render the hiring of Art Bryles Seriously. insignificant. But uh, that one's probably not going to land all that well. And, uh, you know a lot of times when guys get second chances it's you know at a level like grambling state and yeah. people seem to forget about it after a while and they kind of make their way back and get into a bigger job i don't think art bryles has ever i understand that he's got the grambling state job i don't think that we ever see art bryles again in major division 1 college football i just a lot of time has passed, but there will not be enough time passed for any of these power programs to say yes to that. And two, he's up there in age, man. He I mean, is he's really up there in age.
1: He's what mid sixties now. So uh, I, I think Art Browse is probably resigned to that reality. And look, I'm not going to sit here and condemn anybody because I firmly believe that you know if a particular institution has done their homework and. They believe that a guy deserves a second chance. I'm not going to fault them for giving the guy a second chance. I, I am generally very in favor of second chances. My biggest thing is once you get that second chance, steward it well Don't screw and it prove up. that you deserved it. And so, if our if our Bryles can do that, great. I, <laughs> Steely said it. I'll say it too. Our Biles probably isn't a guy that I would hire, but again, you do your homework. You decide that you want to bring him on. I'm not going to fault you for it. If you're Art Bryles, though, you got to understand that one misstep, and that's probably it for you.
5: Like, you yeah, he he's really even lucky to be. And I'm with you. I'm. I think everyone should deserve a second chance. Depending on you know what happened and what happened at Baylor was pretty awful, but he's lucky to have the second chance. I hope that he has at least the decency to treat it as such. Yes, that, that you know he's fortunate to be in the spot that he's in. Yes,
1: I mean, shoot, you think about another guy that was. Involved, uh, <laughs> embroiled in another pretty significant scandal down there at Baylor, and Dave Bliss, he got multiple jobs. Yeah, multiple M- other one jobs around after- here in the Oklahoma City area. Yeah, that's right, Southwestern Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, you no, know, in the sports world, it, that just goes to show you that no one is truly unemployable, right? If you are good enough at your job, uh, no doubt, you are gonna, you are gonna find, you are you're gonna rebound, you are gonna land on your feet. And so Art Browse is plenty good enough at his job to at least warrant consideration from a place like Grambling. And again, ultimately the deciding factor I think is uh, you interview the guy, uh, you clear the background check, you explore from all the different angles. And at the end of it all, if you decide that not only is he good enough at his job to warrant a second chance, but he is a man of strong enough character and has improved upon himself enough to be able to warrant a second chance, then you go ahead and move on it. So, I don't know. I, it, it's one of those things where we'll he'll probably labor in anonymity for a few years because, let's be honest, no one is really paying all that much attention to grambling
5: football. Unless they play Jackson State. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But even then, Dion will be the story there and not Art Bryles, right? So, yeah, i um, uh interested to see how the that works out there at Grambling. Hey, transfer portal updates. Former Arizona State quarterback, three-year starter Jaden Daniels, tweeted out, I am not committed anywhere as of right now. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jaden. So I don't know if there was a rumor of where he was committed or is leaning to committing or anything like that, but he's saying, no, I'm not. I love it when those guys announce nothing.
1: I I remember in probably October – azarie thomas who was a four-star defensive back in the class of 2022 and very heavily considering oklahoma in fact little secret here silent committed to oklahoma for a minute there um was not publicly committed anywhere was heavily considering OU, florida lsu and florida state and he tweeted something like i will be reopening my recruitment after much prayer and thought and conversations with my family. And everybody just kind of looked sideways at that tweet and was like, okay, your recruitment's open as it is. Like, what exactly is the announcement here?
5: Yeah. So Jaden Daniels made an announcement to not make an announcement, essentially. And at the beginning – there's the questions because we've kind of theorized that OU will take another quarterback via the portal at some point. Now at this point, doesn't look like it's going to happen until like in the middle of the spring, after the spring. What about Jaden Daniels? Would they would they take him, uh, three year starter at quarterback? Why would Jaden Daniels come to OU? Because it's nationally known now that Dylan Gabriel is quarterback number one. Why do I say that? Because like three weeks ago, Jeff Lebby said. He is our quarterback, so... Jeff Levy, the anti-mule shoe. Yeah, exactly. Like If you think you can go and play anywhere, like, I'm sure Jaden Daniels does. Obviously, he does. JT Daniels does, but you're not going to get a quarterback via the portal now that has any aspirations of being the starter. Not after the offensive coordinator has already named his starting quarterback back in February. Exactly.
1: So, I... If Oklahoma does secure another quarterback via the portal, which I figure they will at this point, it'll be a guy like Micah Bowens, where he's depth, he understands he's not going to be the starter, he just wants to come in, learn the system, and hope to contribute somewhere down the road. But you're not going to see Oklahoma make a splashy addition the likes of a Jaden andor or JT Daniels.
5: No, and, and I, I dig the idea. Did it maybe hurt o- OU in the quarterback transfer portal, naming a quarterback so early? I, I don't know. Like The point is, is I don't think it really matters because I love that this team knows in February who their guy is, who their starting quarterback is. And really, Parker, when you kind of evaluate everyone that's coming back on the offensive side of the ball, I realize that Dylan Gabriel has never taken a snap at OU. But there's a lot of respect that comes his way with what he's accomplished in college football. Who's the leader on the offense is, you know, it's a question I don't love in a press conference setting. But to answer it, it, it probably is Dylan Gabriel going into next year. He's probably looked at as the leader of your offense. You'd have to think so. And from
1: everything I've been told, he's made a very strong initial impression on his teammates, and they're all behind him. Which is, you know, it, it's kind of that type of thing that you're probably going to hear either way from the uh, the fabled sources, but with Dylan Gabriel, I'm inclined to believe it just based on the amount of people that I've heard it from and the background knowledge of who he is and his character, and so I'd fully expect that there's going to be no question as to whose team this is, and I think maybe that was, maybe that hasn't been all that clear since 2019 you know the big issue for the 2020 team was there wasn't any ostensible emotional leadership there wasn't on either side of the ball it wasn't until ronnie perkins came back that you kind of started to get that sense that maybe perkins was that guy and in 2021 you know you had the uh, the pre-caleb era and the post-caleb era so for the entire duration of the season it was never really clear who the team belonged to because for the first half uh, is it Spencer Rattler's team? Is it Nick Benito's team? Like who's who's the guy? And then the latter half of the season, naturally, Caleb Williams kind t- of kind of took the spotlight. But there were a lot of people that evaluated that situation and said, well, you know what? He's a true freshman. How much, how how much weight is his opinion and? the things that he says and his motivational tactics, how much weight is that actually going to carry with his teammates. But heading into twenty twenty two, I don't think there will be any question in anyone's mind, whether internally or externally, that this team
5: belongs to Dylan Gabriel. And that's that I think that's best case scenario. Your quarterback is that dude. And he seems like he's he's ready for that spot. He's willing for that spot. He's the best guy for that spot. Like like doesn't seem like Dylan Gabriel is scared of, you know, walking into this program and being a, you know, leader from game one. So that's uh, That's obviously good to see. All right, one final segment coming up next right here on Locked In. Tyler and Parker inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. Back for more coming up next. All right, final segment of Locked In. Locked In brought to you by Chapel Supply. Chapel Supplies you. Keep the text coming on the Air Cover Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Hey, coming up next hour on The Rush at 320, Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. One of the smartest and brightest football minds I know. He used to coach with Saban and Belichick in the NFL. He used to run the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, he does a lot of work for college NFL teams. You, you've heard him on the show before. He's he's awesome. He'll be joining us next hour at three twenty. Big Twelve quarterback story that uh, I read on twenty four seven Sports yesterday. Parker and basically ranking um ranking the quarterbacks one through ten on projected starters. Dylan Gabriel was number one. And like I said yesterday, if Dylan Gabriel is the best quarterback in the Big 12, uh, what are we talking about? OU's going to win the league because you look at basically every single year since 2000. Outside of 3 if OU's had the best quarterback in the conference, they've won the league. Well, and outside of 21,
1: because you can argue OU had the two best quarterbacks in the conference that year. So you get an outlier every now and again. Yeah, but. The,
5: the thing that got me was at number 2. And it's Quinn Ewers. There's so much hype for Quinn Ewers. And I understand that he had an unbelievable high school career coming out of the state of Texas. But why should I believe that Quinn Ewers is going to finally turn around the quarterback position in Austin? I mean, you shouldn't yet. Quinn
1: Ewers is a good quarterback. I've seen him in person. His stature's impressive. He throws a real easy. He's got all the tools you look for in an elite college quarterback and potential future NFL draftee. And I think that's the reason why he comes so highly regarded. I just, I have to see him throw the ball to more levels of the field before I'm comfortable asserting that Texas is going to turn that corner under Ewers. Because to me, at least from what I saw of Quinn Ewers, generally the passes he's making are short passes. They're five to eight yards down the field. He's getting the ball in his receiver's hands and letting them do the great. Not a
5: whole lot of high degree of difficulty throws. Is yeah, what I say,
1: I've seen him throw a nice deep ball or two. I'm not saying he doesn't have that capability in his game. And I do think he has the long-term potential to be one of the better quarterbacks in the collegiate game and to play NFL ball one day. But I, I, here's the other thing that makes you – that makes you concerned about his future, man. When you commit to a school – and, like, it's very public knowledge that you commit to a school simply because they're offering you the most money? That's what happened. I, I can't help but be skeptical of a guy at that point.
5: I mean, it sets a terrible precedent. Now, if you want to say, okay, well, here's why. Quinn Ewers is arguably the most talented quarterback Texas has brought in in quite some time. Okay, fine, but that's also not saying very much now, is it? Sam Ellinger, for all the nice things that he did at Texas, he was not your prototypical quarterback that could throw the ball all over the yard. I mean, he was a gritty type of quarterback that was going to get yards on the ground, and, you know, it's not like he had a super impressive arm. I'm just, I'm I'm not buying it with Quinn Ewers, man, mostly because I can't buy it with quarterbacks at the University of Texas, did Casey Thompson have a nice game against OU last year? Absolutely, but that was also a football program that was five and seven last year and was flip flopping quarterbacks all year long. Here's
1: the think, here's the quarterback whose it. career arc I think Quinn Ewers will follow, Matt Barkley, consensus number one overall recruit in the nation as a high school senior, started as a true freshman at USC. Was a decidedly above-average quarterback and had elite moments in college. Ended up an NFL draft pick, had a cup of coffee with a few teams, made a few starts here and there, but never really became a firmly entrenched Never start.
5: did one thing that just made you say, wow.
1: Exactly. Wow, that
5: guy's just different.
1: I don't know. Maybe I'll see Quinn Ewers on the field for Texas for half a season, and my opinion will change. But for now, like Matt Barkley and his career arc is probably the guy that I would compare Quinn Ewers to.
5: Well, uh, he, is, he is going to the University of Texas. Colt McCoy, last dude to do anything uh, worth of note out there. That's been over a, a decade now. It's been over a decade. All right, that'll do it for us. The Rush coming up next, Teddy and myself. More to come. Keep it locked right here on The Ref.